Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. How are we doing today, Summit Church? It's great to see you. I'm so glad you're here today. My name is Mel Massingale. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit. I just want to say thank you for worshiping with us today. If you're a guest with us, please make yourself at home. We hope you have a wonderful day with us today. Pray that God blesses you. If you're watching online, no matter where you might be or how you might be joining us, uh, we just want to say thanks for worshiping with us today. It's a privilege for us to be able to be with you. So whether you're watching from our website at summitpa.church or maybe you're watching uh, from our Facebook page, whatever the case may be, we just want to say thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We pray that God blesses you. Uh, A couple things I want to mention to you. Next weekend is a big weekend. we got uh, worship and baptism celebration next weekend. You don't want to miss it. If uh, you've never been baptized, get registered. Uh, The weekend after that is Mother's Day weekend. It's going to be fantastic. Bring your moms to church with you that day. Don't go to church with your mom. Uh, Bring her with you. Because I promise she's going to be blessed. You're going to have a great time. Uh, We're going to have a great weekend that weekend. This week, Friday, Saturday, events for women and men coming up. Uh, Get registered, get plugged in, get connected to what's going on here at Summit. You will not regret it. I promise it'll be good for you. Um, Today, I'm excited. We're continuing our series, doing it in a little bit of a different way that we started a few weeks ago called Broadcasting Wonder. And our series is derived from this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 that says, But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, now claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. So God rescued us from darkness into light. Not just so that we could go to heaven, not just so we'd be nice or moral or good people, but he did that so that we could broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the whole world, everywhere we go. And that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, and, uh, and we're talking about that today with our guest. Um, the guest we have with us, is, he knows a thing or two about broadcasting. He hosts a weekly Uh, nationally syndicated radio show called The Odd Couple on Fox Sports Radio. He also is prominently featured in uh, the daily studio shows on Fox Sports, uh, Fox Sports One, and and we are so glad to have him because he's not just an analyst, he's not just um, a television host, a radio host, he's so much more than that. He's He's a husband, he's a father, and he's a child of God, and he is Uh, Man, he's got a great word for us today, so I'm excited about talking with him and introducing him to you. So please welcome with me to the stage, Chris Broussard. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Great to be here. So, Chris, thank you for joining us. Is that me? I'm going to blame you because I'm the pastor. That wasn't me. I know that one. We good, Casey? Just don't move. I'm going to sit like this the rest of the service. Would that be awkward? Well, Chris, I'm glad to have you with us today. Hey, Ricky, bring me a mic. (laughs) Here we go. It was you. It was. (laughs) Indeed. I blamed you because this is my house, so... (laughs) That's all right. That's okay. It's great to have you with us today, man. It's great uh, to be here. I was here last night and had a great time, and I'm excited about today. Well, I'm really glad uh, that you were able to make time uh, to be with us. And just so you guys know, um, Chris's job is to cover sports. And this is a busy weekend in 
in the landscape of sports because we got the NFL draft. For those of you that are Steelers fans, you know that. When the NFL draft this weekend, we also have uh, a lot of NBA playoff games, and that's kind of your sweet spot is the NBA. And so he took time out of one of the busiest sports seasons to come and be with us and just share. And so I'm so excited for that. So thank you again for being here, Chris. Really is an honor. Um, so a lot of people, they may know a little bit about you because you know, they see you on TV or they've heard you on the radio, but the truth is you, you tell a lot of stories, but you're not the subject of a lot of stories. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about you and uh, just your background. Well, I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, my, that's where my family's roots are. Um, but I moved around a lot as a kid. I lived in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio, Indianapolis, Indiana, Syracuse, New York, Des Moines, Iowa, and Cleveland, Ohio, all before finishing high school. And I did finish high school in Cleveland. Uh, so I know I'm in the heart of Steelers country, but I, did, I grew up an avid Steelers fan, even though I was in Cincinnati, Ohio as a kid. So uh, I'm with you on that. I'm not really still a Steelers fan, but I, I was a big time fan back in the day. Um, but my family, uh, my parents have been married. It'll be 54 years in October. So, That's awesome. uh, yeah. I come from a good family. Uh, I have one younger brother who's a year younger than me and uh, grew up Catholic. That was my religious background. And uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of my, I have, well, I've been married, it'll be uh, 24 years in June. And I have twin, identical twin daughters who are 21 years old. And uh, one goes to the University of Pennsylvania. She's a psychology major and the other one goes to Michigan, and she's a uh, communications major. So my wife is a medical doctor. She's a gastroenterologist. So interestingly, one of the daughters followed in my footsteps in communications, mm -hmm. yep. and the other followed in her mother's footsteps. So uh, it's just it's wild how God works that out. It is. Um, so... Growing up, you, you know, grew up in several different areas, but you ultimately graduated from uh, high school in the Cleveland area, and yeah. while you were in high school, you were involved in a lot of different sports, and you had quite a bit of success in those sports in high school. Yeah, I played basketball and football, varsity basketball and football throughout high school. Uh, I played baseball until my sophomore year, um, and I ended up playing basketball in college, uh, Oberlin College Division Three. And uh, sports was really what my, my life, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, I just lived for sports. Um, I, I wanted to be the next great tailback from USC. That mm -hmm. was my dream. Then USC used to be a great football school when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not so much anymore, but uh, that was my goal. And uh, I ended up having a better high school career in basketball than football. So I ended up playing uh, basketball in college. So what did, you, you mentioned earlier that you grew up Catholic. What was the spiritual climate of your home growing up uh, with your family, your parents, that kind of thing? We were religious, uh, not overtly religious, but we went to church every Sunday. My dad, uh, he actually studied to be a priest when he was in high school. Uh, he went to seminary for two years. And if you know anything about Catholic priests, you know I'm glad that he didn't become one because mm -hmm. uh, I would not exist today mm -hmm. if he had gone through with that, but he was uh, at seminary and things were going well. He was popular and played sports on the school teams and you know, had a lot of friends. And one day, uh, one of the students asked him, why are you so dark? Mm -hmm. And he's only a little darker than me. Um, I am African-American, in case you were wondering. 
Uh, I know I'm melanin challenged, but uh, I'm black. <laughs> My birth certificate says Negro. Um, but so the guy asked him, why are you so dark? And he said, maybe it's because I'm colored, you know, which at that time was the term they used. And later that day, all of his friends and students and even some of the administrators and priests were like treating him differently. Some yep. of them shunned him. They didn't involve him in conversations. They'd be talking. He'd walk up and they kind of stop talking or walk away yeah. or whatever. And that went on for a few weeks. And uh, he had, you know, lived on campus. They were all living on campus. And his dad uh, came up. He called his parents up to see him. And uh, he told him what was going on. He's crying and everything. And uh, he said his dad said, everybody's not meant to be Jackie Robinson. Come on home. You know, so that ended his quest to be a priest. Uh, but we, we went to church every Sunday growing up. Uh, I went to Catholic high schools from second grade through high school. So I, I was taught a lot. You know, I was taught a lot of truths. I was taught the Ten Commandments. I knew a lot about Jesus from yeah. biblical stories. I took religion courses, obviously, throughout school. I knew about the apostles, just all the Bible stories, mm -hmm. but didn't have any concept of having a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Didn't know anything about biblical Christianity. Like, I never, I, I'm sure I never read a chapter of the Bible by myself before uh, I became a Christian, a born-again Christian. And uh, so, like I said, I grew up religious, but my lifestyle, you know, it was never, it never reflected in my lifestyle and, yeah. and things like that. So that was kind of the household I grew up in. And my family, even though we were Catholic, uh, I come from a long line of drinkers. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was, my father actually was kicked out of college for a little while for being drunk, you know. And um, my family was, the Broussards would drink, synonymous with drinking and I go to family reunions and see my uncles and my father and everybody was, if you, ain't, you don't drink, boy, you ain't no Broussard. It was that mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So that was kind of the environment that I grew up in. I started drinking in ninth grade, getting drunk. So you, you finish high school, you go to Oberlin, and uh, still kind of spiritual climates kind of look the same for you personally. Yeah, and interestingly, uh, Oberlin was, is an incredibly liberal school. You know, I was there in, from 1986 to 1990, and it was, it was nothing to see, you know, two men walking, holding hands, two women holding hands. You know, it was, it was, uh, it's interesting that uh, that's where I got saved because <laughs> it was very incredibly uh, liberal at that time, uh, socially liberal. And, uh, but there were a number of Christians that I did meet there, too. So I'm sure you weren't looking to start a relationship with Christ. So tell us uh, what, spurred, what spurred that on. Your... Well, I, I was looking to start a relationship with a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I started dating this, dating this woman. Uh, she was a senior. She was two years older than me. I was a sophomore. I knew her. We had been in some classes together. We were cordial or friends, I guess. But we started dating a few months before she graduated. And uh, ironically, our first date was actually uh, 30 years, 30, no, 10 years after our first date, our daughters were born. You know, mm. the same day. Yeah. You know, which is amazing. Um, and we were married when they were born. 
But uh, <laughs> when we began dating, when she was, you know, my sophomore year, and she was a born-again Christian, she, people, she had this almost angelic reputation on campus mm-hmm. because she became a Christian her sophomore year and stopped doing a lot of things that, you know, a lot of sinful things college students do. And uh, so she was the first person I was really close to that, you know, introduced me to biblical Christianity. I, I, like I said, I had no concept of biblical Christianity. And so she would, we started dating. She would want to pray. And I would be like, yeah, I'll pray. Because, you know, as a Catholic, I prayed. And uh, I noticed that when she prayed, she prayed like she was talking to somebody she knew. Mm-hmm. You know, like a father or a friend and, you know, somebody she had a relationship with. And all I could say were memorized prayers. All yeah. my prayers were, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, or hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord. Like, that's how I prayed my whole life. I don't know if I ever prayed, uh, like, uh, you know, God, I need you, God, you know, things yeah. like that. And um, so that was different. Uh, we started, I went to a few Bible studies with her on campus. Uh, I even fasted one day with her and, and the Christian students on campus. You know, you, you, know you like the girl. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I wish serious. I could say I was doing it for the Lord at that time, <laughs> but I really wasn't. But uh, so we had been dating for about a year and it was, it was, we had great times together, but it was this constant tug of war mm-hmm. because I wasn't really trying to live for the Lord and she was, and I was kind of dragging her down, and she was trying to stay strong, and it was this battle. And uh, one day after about a year of dating, we went to church in Cleveland. She was in medical school in Cleveland, Ohio, so I went to visit her one weekend. We went to church, and uh, it was a charismatic church, and, you know, everybody was excited, and uh, the words, the songs were up on the wall, and everybody was praising God and happy and joyous and smiling and wanting to hug every, me and hug everybody and all that stuff. I was a little taken aback by all the hugging, uh-huh. but <clears throat> I had never been in a church with that, in that type of environment. Right. Like, as a Catholic, no disrespect to Catholics, but uh, I was, it was just all about enduring and getting through the 45 mm-hmm. minutes or whatever. You know, it, yeah. was, just, I, I, it was just boring. And um, so I had never been in that setting and uh, so that, that really impacted me. And then the guy that spoke, he was a guest speaker. And he was from New York uh, and gave his testimony about how when he was a teenager, he got involved with drug use. Mm-hmm. And I think he became a heroin addict, ran away from home, really was rebellious, had a lot of problems with his parents. And when he was 16, he gave his life to Christ. And that, you know, changed his entire life. And, you know, the rest was history. And uh, his message really resonated with me. And it was at that church service, that was the first time I really realized and recognized that I wasn't right with God, like that I I needed to be saved, that my lifestyle wasn't pleasing to God. And, you know, I was not a drug dealer, drug user. I never used drugs, anything like that. Most people would have looked at me and said, that's a positive young man. Mm-hmm. He, you know, I, my grades were good and all that stuff. But, you know, God's standard is not man's standard. Yeah. And too many people, uh, we even a lot of times people that go to church that may not really know the Lord, we compare ourselves to 
the worst of the worst. Yeah. We compare ourselves to the gang bangers and the drug dealers and, you know, people that are out there doing these egregious sins, and we say, we're, we're good people, we're not as bad as them. Yeah. And uh, I recognize that by God's standard, which is none of us can meet, you could even live a very clean life. I mean, Jesus said, if, if you have dislike a brother or sister, you hate a brother or a person, that's like murder. Mm -hmm. You know, if you looked at a woman with lust, that's like adultery. So none of us can reach God's standard. So I realized at that moment that I need Christ in my life that, you know, and if I died, I was going to go to hell, deservingly so, because mm -hmm. I was willingly disrespecting God and doing what I wanted to do, not what I knew he wanted me to do. Yeah. But I didn't want to, I, just being totally honest, I didn't want to give my life to the Lord. I didn't want to repent. I knew I didn't have to be perfect, but I didn't even want to, I didn't want Jesus to be my Lord. You know, I wanted him to be, I wanted Chris Broussard to be my Lord. I was my Lord. Yeah. I did what I wanted to do. I didn't want to try to do what he wanted to do. And I think it's important for Christians to realize, we talk about Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we know he's both. But Lord, he's mentioned over 250 times in the Bible as Lord. He's mentioned about 15 in the New Testament as Savior. So, He's Lord. He's not just mm -hmm. Savior, and I didn't want him as my Lord. Everybody would want him as Savior. Right. Like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, you know, mm -hmm. but I didn't want him as my Lord. And so um, I didn't go, like, when the pastor gave the altar call, uh, I felt like everybody in that church was looking at me like, you, you need to go down and get saved. You uh -huh. know you ain't right with God. <laughs> and uh, I was literally standing there praying, God, don't let this man come and pull me out of my seat and bring me up to the altar. <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't. And so I didn't go up to the altar. I didn't get saved. But I left that day knowing, man, you need God in your life, yep. you know. And, uh, but I was running. And so I get back up to school, and I'm, you know, getting involved in, in sin and just doing the things I was doing. And uh, God still blessed me. He blessed me that summer with a, some, uh, an internship at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which was the biggest newspaper in Ohio at the time. Uh, it was an internship in sports writing. I did the internship, uh, did well, and toward the end of it, they told me that when you graduate, we're going to hire you. Mm -hmm. So I was heading into my senior year. So anybody who's in here that's been in college or in college right now, you know how awesome of a feeling that is to know heading into your senior year, you have a job waiting for you, a good job yeah. that's going to pay you well, a job that uh, you enjoy is sports writing. So I was just ecstatic. And then after a few days, I just started kind of feeling like, is this, is this all there is? Is this what life is about? Like, because I was raised, as many of us are, to think the American dream is the end-all, be-all. Like, right. that's what life is about. You know, go to school, Chris, do well in school so you can go to a good college so you can get a good job. You know, yeah. do well in college so you can get a good job. And that was what I was told was the meaning of life, get the American dream. And so here I was now with the American dream within my grasp. Mm -hmm. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't rich or anything, didn't have all that. Yet, but I knew, you know, I had it. This is what my life was preparing me to get a good job, and now I've got it. And so, but once I realized that 
I started feeling like, man, there's got to be more to life than this, yeah. you know? And I started having this emptiness inside and really feeling miserable because everything outside was going great. Yeah. I was co-captain on the basketball team, had a girlfriend I love, you know, had a lot of friends and this job, promise of this great job. There was nothing I could point to and say, if that was, if that was right, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. Except it was inside, you know, and, uh, and I knew it was God. I knew it was Christ because he had convicted me months before, but I was still running. I was still running. So one day I remember going to church, to a Catholic church, in uh, a couple weeks before I was about to go back to school, and I was there with my parents and my, my girlfriend went with us, and uh, they were all happy, you know, my son's going to be a sports writer, you know, my mom mm-hmm. is happy. And my girlfriend happy, I got a job, you know, and she mm-hmm. might marry me, maybe I got a job, you know, all that. And, uh, but I was miserable, you know, and you couldn't tell on the outside. I looked, you know, normal, I'm putting up a good front, but inside I was in turmoil. And I was sitting there in church just like, man, I know I got to get saved. And I was like, God, I was like, I tried to make a deal with God. And I said, God, let me go up to school my senior year and let me have my first semester to do whatever I want to do. And then in January, I'll get saved, you know. <laughs> and I wanted to just sow all my wild oats, try to get it all out of my system. And then in January, you know, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And in my mind, God was like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. You know, we good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now I know better. You know, tomorrow's not promised, and the day of salvation is today. Yeah. But at that time, I thought I was good, and so I go up to school, and I'm, you know, getting involved in some stuff, and it just wasn't the same, and I just wasn't into it, and, you know, but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't know, I didn't see any guys my age that I knew that were living for the Lord. Yeah. You know, and I knew guys that went to church and all that stuff. But as far as really trying to follow Christ and I didn't know anybody. And I was like, I ain't about to be the only dude up in here, you know, trying to serve the Lord. You know, people think I'm crazy and all that, you know. And uh, but God, you know, so I'm looking for loopholes. I still Mm -hmm. have this emptiness in me and I'm looking for ways to fulfill it without giving my life to Christ. Yeah. I remember it's amazing what God will use. I watched a movie about Elvis Presley. Uh, I know many of you know Elvis Presley. The younger ones, who could I compare him to? Justin Bieber, maybe? (laughs) Eminem, that's a little older. But but I watched this movie about him on TV, and he had everything you could want in life. Yeah. You know, fame, fortune, you know, all the beautiful women you could ever want as a man. Like, he had everything, and he was miserable. Yeah. And to the point where he tried to, you know, fill that void that I was feeling, he tried to fill it with drugs, and Mm -hmm. obviously died of a drug overdose. And uh, I read an article about Bobby Brown, who was married to Whitney Houston at the time. He was hot back in 89. I know now he looked kind of grubby, but he was hot back in 89. (laughs) And, uh, I hope Bobby Brown's not watching this. <laughs> he know he look grubby now. Get, get it together, Bobby. Now, <laughs> but um, no, I, I like Bobby. Um, but I remember, I remember as the article saying a quote from him of, "I was happier when I was uh, 
poor than yeah. when I'm rich, you yeah. know, because all the money problems brought. And this stuff was just hitting me like, man, these dudes have everything yeah. that you could want in life, and then they don't have that peace. They don't have that happiness, that joy. And so finally on my 21st birthday, I was going out to dinner with my parents and my girlfriend was going to go with us. And before we went out, my, my father and I ran some errands. They had come and picked me up from school. And uh, I asked him, I was like, I said, Daddy, I said, what keeps you going in life? You know, once you have, you have two children, two sons, they're both in college doing well. You got a nice house. You have, you know, provided for your family. We're middle class. You got nice cars. And everything he said, he was just like, well, you know, you want to get a promotion on your job. You strive for that. Or you want a bigger house. You want a nicer car. You want to make more money to help your family or to help other family members mm -hmm. or just help other people in general. Like, everything he said was good, but I knew none of that was going to fulfill this void in my right. heart. So, really, for me, God just broke me down mm -hmm. to the point where it was like, I'm going to keep running from Christ and be miserable, yeah. or I'm going to give my life to Christ and, and finally get some peace and some joy. So, that day, you know how we traditionally make a wish over your cake? So we had my birthday cake, and instead of making a wish, that's when, I didn't say it to them, but in, in my heart, inside, that's when I gave my life to Christ. I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. And so my 21st birthday, my natural birthday is actually my spiritual birthday, too. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you finish at Oberlin, you've got um, this job waiting on you. You go take the job at Cleveland Plains Dealer. You, through a series of circumstances, you end up at the Akron B. Wow. You're covering the NBA at this point, which is a big step up from right. Right. high school sports. So what begins to happen in your professional life at this point? Well, God was blessing me. You know, um, like I said, I started out covering high school sports for the Cleveland Plains Dealer. I was actually a part-time reporter and the deal was when they hired me, the sports, the sports editor was like, we're going to make you full-time in mm -hmm. a few months. Don't worry. We just don't have an opening right now. So I'm there. I'm part-time. And that editor leaves. And, but a, a friend of his takes over. The friend is like, I know the deal. I know you're supposed to go full-time. So it, when we, once we get a full-time opening, we're going to put you in there. Then he ends up leaving. <laughs> and I'm still part-time. And then another sports editor comes in who really, I guess he didn't know the deal that, mm -hmm. that was supposed to happen. So I stay part-time, and uh, they ended up having a full-time opening, and I applied for it and didn't get it. And uh, so the Akron Beacon Journal, which was nearby, because mm -hmm. they're very close, Akron and Cleveland, uh, they offered me a full-time job. So it was a smaller paper, uh, but it was a better opportunity. Yeah. And uh, so they hired me full time. So I went there and within like six months, they promoted me from covering high school sports to covering the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was doing some like they put me on pro soccer for a little while. So I did that. And then I, I worked with the uh, I was backing up the Cleveland Indians beat. Mm -hmm. So that's where I got a lot of my experience covering pros. And that was that happened to be the, the year that the Indians went to the first World Series in, yeah. I don't know, 40 years, whatever it was, 1995. Mm -hmm. And so I was covering them throughout the, like really for about 
four months I was with the Indians. But that was about Jim Tomey, Manny Ramirez. Jim Tomey, yeah. Manny Ramirez, yeah. uh, Albert Bell, yeah. Kenny Lofton, Eddie Merck. They had a tough locker room. That was, <laughs> that was a tough locker room. But, uh, but that was, it, I went from game six mm-hmm. when they lost to the Atlanta Braves. I was covering that game. The next day I flew to Cleveland, and the next day I was at a Cavaliers event. And I, I worked... I was just young and silly, like I was just doing gung-ho and doing whatever. I worked 188 straight days my first year on the Cavs, you know, going from the Indians to the Cavs. And, uh, but I had been doing, before that, I had been doing a lot of ministry. Mm-hmm. I had been going to prisons every week, doing prison ministry. I was out in the inner cities, you know, talking with people, trying to minister, speaking at churches, just really getting involved and doing a lot of ministry. And feeling a calling to that, not really the pastor, but a calling to do ministry, because I just had this burden to reach people, particularly men, mm-hmm. with the gospel. And uh, once I got promoted to the Cavaliers beat, I mean, that, that took up essentially all of my time. Yeah. You know? And so I, my ministry kind of work kind of stopped, but God was elevating me. In my job, I mean, the New York Times, they called me and had interest in me. And I went there and interviewed with them, and they liked me. And then I told them a couple weeks, they wanted me to bring me back for a second interview. I told them, look, I'm going to go into the full-time ministry, so thank you, but no thank you. Then they called me back about a year later, out of the blue, and are you still going to seminary? I was like, well, it's going to be a few years off. So they were like, well, come work for us, you know, until you go. So. That was just God. Then ESPN, from the New York Times to ESPN, ESPN called me mm-hmm. to try to, you know, hey, we want you, you know, I have been on some of their shows as a reporter for the New York Times, and they liked me, and they wanted me to write for the magazine, and, you know, then they start putting me on television. Mm-hmm. I have not been trained in television, uh, but, you know, the most reporters that you Stephen A. Smith, um, Skip Bayless, Tony Kornheiser, Jamel Hill, Michael Wilbon, none of us were trained in television. Yeah. Uh, but they started putting reporters on television for their information and for their, if those who had charisma in front of the camera, they morphed into TV personalities. And so I actually have thought about, I don't know if I'm going to do it, I thought a while ago about writing a book called God is My Agent. Mm-hmm. Because God just kept promoting me in my career. Yeah. And, uh, it was really, it was, I worked hard. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I worked hard. I feel like I did a really good job, but he definitely opened doors. It wasn't just me seeking and applying for things. People, yeah. people were, were contacting me and, and putting me in these positions. So a lot of folks that are watching this or, or listening to this right now, they don't, um, they, they might not relate to some of your circumstances in life, but one of the things they can probably relate to is, um, trying to live out a godly influence in a, in a work environment that's not always conducive to that, in a work environment that, that might be um, antagonistic toward Christ or toward the gospel. Right. And, um, and you are in the spotlight. You're in the media. You're, you know, um, you're a public figure. And, and you have, um, in 2013, you, you were asked your opinion about a significant news story at the time, and you shared your opinion, which was biblically based, and... Um, and caught a lot of heat for that. And so how, how, do you, how do you maintain a godly witness 
in a difficult work environment like that? I think the first thing, the most important thing is to live out our faith. Mm-hmm. Like, like live according to Jesus' teachings. Not that we're perfect, but we're sincerely striving to live out the faith. And that, that, doesn't, that means morally, of course, but also in just the way we treat people. You yeah. know, when we're there with a, a lot, mostly we're going to be surrounded by non-Christians, but do you treat them with love? Do you treat them with compassion? Do you, you know, mm-hmm. do you treat them the way Christ would want you to treat people? You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So the first thing I would say is we should make sure our walk, and this, this is the case regardless. This yeah. as a Christian, your, your walk is supposed to be uh, for God. So the first thing I would say, if you want to be a witness in your workplace, is to live out the faith, you yeah. know. Um, and so the second thing I would say in my case, as, as you mentioned, I was, you know, the media tried to kill me, you know, for taking a biblical stand. Um, and I, I, my thing was, when I gave my life to Christ, I knew I was walking away from the world. Yeah. And we have to understand that as Christians, like, Nobody want, we don't want to be, you know, hated and disliked and different and all that. But when I, you know, because I, I didn't want to give my life to Christ. But when I finally did and I repented, I knew I was walking away from my friends who were out there chasing women and trying to sleep with all these women. I didn't, we didn't stop being friends necessarily, but I knew I was walking away from that lifestyle. Yeah. I knew I was walking away from my frat brothers who all we did together was get drunk, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I knew I was making a conscious decision. I'm not living like that anymore. Yeah. And I knew there might be consequences. Again, I didn't walk away from any of my friends, but some of them didn't want to hang with me anymore. They didn't want to kick it with me anymore, you know, because I wasn't doing those things. And I look, if that's what it costs to give it up for Christ, then I was willing to do it. And so whatever it is, I know now, like, if you just read the Bible, you see the world, it, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. And so too many times we in America, we think of America as this big Christian nation in the kingdom of God, and it's not. America is the world. And so when we, even today when we see, you know, laws being changed that don't reflect God and, you know, think the culture of the climate is really going away from God and even becoming hostile toward Christianity, mm-hmm. some, some Christians or churchgoers are surprised. Like, what do we do? This is, Amer- no, that, that's the world. Yeah. Like, so we shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't agree with what we believe. Yeah. And so I wasn't surprised. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't really expect it, you know, but I was just like, if, you know, this is what comes sometimes with being a man of God, you know, yeah. and I was actually, I was resting on the scripture where Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Yeah. Because there were people trying to write petitions to get me fired and <laughs> all that stuff. And uh, so I was looking for my blessing and I was getting my blessing, you know, because I was, I knew I was uh, being persecuted for righteousness sake. But I, I would say that we have to understand, as Christians, some, there's going to be times where the world doesn't agree with us, yeah. where the world may not like us. And in other countries, our brothers and sisters in other countries are facing it much worse than we are, yeah. you know? And so 
so I was just, and, and then, you know, I, like I said, so I, one of the things that helped me in that situation too was, like I said, that I had kind of lived it out up at ESPN. Mm -hmm. If I had been at ESPN cursing all the time, getting drunk with my coworkers, hitting on the makeup girls, you know, hitting on other, some of the nice looking female anchors, which happens up there uh, at ESPN, I think I would have got fired. Because mm -hmm. I think they would have looked at me, they would have said, this guy's a bigot who uses his religion as a covering for his bigotry and prejudice. Yeah. But instead, they knew how my lifestyle, they knew how I lived, and they even asked people that were friends of mine that worked there, what you think about Bruce or what he said about this, what, you know, and they vouched for me. And um, so I think they looked at me as, you know what, we don't agree with what he said or with yeah. his, what he, his beliefs, but he's a sincere Christian, and that's part of diversity. Yeah. He's a sincere, sincere believer, and if we're going to be diverse, then we're going to have people that have different viewpoints. So don't be going out there, you know, judging and condemning different sins if you ain't trying to live for the Lord because, and we shouldn't do that. I mean, yeah. Jesus even said, take the, what, the, the plank out of your own mm -hmm. eye before you look at the speck in your brother's eye. So, you know, again, not that we're perfect, but are you, are you really trying, yeah. trying to live for the Lord? Uh, and if you're doing that, you know, I know God's going to cover you. So I know one of the things you're passionate about is helping people and helping men specifically kind of live out the calling that God has placed on them and helping them kind of step into their God-given roles that sometimes they've forfeited or sometimes they maybe don't even realize that they've been called to. Um, so tell us <clears throat> a little about that and what you've done to kind of help empower men. Yeah, I, I started a national Christian men's movement called the King Movement. You see I'm wearing the, the hoodie right now. King is an acronym that stands for Knowledge, Inspiration, and Nurture Through God. And uh, we have four foundational scriptures. One of them is Ephesians 6.10, which is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So our, our model is kind of be strong in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason, one of the reasons I started it was because when I met men, and, and I think it's the same for women, men need male bonding mm -hmm. and women need female bonding. And you see it in fraternities, in lodges, in, in athletics. Mm -hmm. The best thing about being on a team is the male bonding that you have with your teammates and your friends on the team and, and all of that. Um, you even see it in gangs, you know. Mm -hmm. So we need that. And when I became a Christian, I was 21 years old. Again, didn't know many young guys my age that were living for the Lord. Went to a good church, but most of the guys were older than me. They were married and, you know. And I long for that brotherhood where I could be around guys like my age that I could relate to in terms of sports, in terms of music, culture, whatever it might be, but who also love the Lord and who, if I'm watching a game with them or whatever, they're going to be encouraging me. And it's an atmosphere that does not contradict my Christian values yeah. and tempt me to go outside of that. And so I began meeting some young brothers here and there around the city of Cleveland that were similar to me, and they were all kind of isolated as well, you know, that didn't have a group of guys that they could relate to their age. So I said, you know what, and, and I actually over time saw some of them fall, 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and looking back, you know, they were strong for a while and then they dipped and went into this backslidden condition or, you know, whatever it might be. And a lot of it was because they didn't have a brotherhood, a support system, yeah. you know, that guys they could just hang out with. Yeah. And, then not, and not even always talking about God, but just, you know, and, and who were going to encourage their walk with the Lord. And so that's, that was one of the things that inspired me to start King. So our, our, in a nutshell, our purpose is to help strengthen men in their daily walks with Christ. So to live for Christ Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. Uh, living in our workplace, uh, on the college campus, in our fraternities, in our marriages, with our wives, with mm-hmm. our children. You know, that's really the biblical lifestyle is yeah. what we encourage and so, uh, so we set up chapters in different parts of the country, and uh, it's been a blessing because we get so many men that are like, man, I've been looking for something like this. And just being around men uh, who, are, who are sold out for Christ uh, is, is a really, you know, that, again, that male bonding and that brotherhood, but doing it in Christ. Because we, we feel like, look, when you become a Christian, I think certain values become important to you, like family mm-hmm. and, you know, seeing people reach their God-given potential. And we believe that, you know, the way to strengthen the family is to have strong men. Mm-hmm. You know, God has obviously placed men in an important role in the family. And so without strong men, uh, we're not going to have strong families. We're not going to have strong communities. We're not going to have a strong country. So that's one of the things that, that we really want to do with King. And I think today is a very confusing time for people, for, yeah. for especially young men growing up. I mean, I think going through adolescence is confusing in the most pristine situation, yeah. you know. But nowadays where you have authority figures, uh, teachers, government officials telling young boys and telling men that, you know, they're, they're really blurring the lines between men and women, you know, and saying there's no difference and things like that. And so it can be confusing times. So we want to hold up the standard of biblical manhood and help men provide support, encouragement, and accountability for men to really be who God created them to be. One of the things things we've talked about um, was, uh, you know, just the, the... the culture we live in today is so, um, so. It seems like we're just looking for fights. It right. seems like we're looking for fights with people that disagree with us, or you know. And so I, I love the fact that as we've been talking, I, I think it's clear that one of the goals of King is to bring unity in the body of Christ. Right. You know, um, across denominational or ethnic or you know. The lines that divide us, yeah, bring us together. Uh, So talk a little about that. Yeah, look, I just consider myself a Christian. I don't consider myself Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, whatever. You know, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So one of the things with King, we do want to help unite, in our case, men, Mm -hmm. uh, Bible-believing men across racial, denominational, and political lines. Again, as the society is getting more and more hostile toward Christianity, uh, one, I do believe that part of the reason it's getting hostile toward Christianity is because historically the church in America 
we really haven't been the church. Mm -hmm. We haven't reflected Christ. We're the body of Christ. Just think about that literally. The body of Christ is the church. So when people see the church move, they should be seeing Jesus. Yeah. The body, they should be seeing Christ move. And when you look at the histor- history of this country, the church has been just as divided as the world when you talk about race. Mm-hmm. You know? And so uh, I believe if we really have been reflecting Christ if historically, if the church in America had really been walking as the body of Christ, I don't think America would be that antagonistic toward Christianity, right? you know, because I, I think they would see that unity. Even Jesus said in John 17, 21, he prayed, you know, he was praying that uh, the, his followers in the mm-hmm. future would be one, as the Father and he are one. He said, mm-hmm. when they are one, that's when the world will believe that you sent me. Right. And so the world will believe in Jesus when the body, when we as believers are one, when yep. we're united, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, whatever it is, when we're united. And so that's a, a definitely something we want to uh, really help bring about. We want to work with other Christians to bring about racial unity in, uh, in the body of Christ in America and not a superficial unity, right. not like if we hug each mm-hmm. other that means that everything is great, you know, right. because there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of damage done, you know, in this country because of racism, and still that we see today, you know, um, and residual effects, you know, that happen uh, because of things of the past, systemic things that go on that need to be changed. Yeah. And uh, I really believe if the body of Christ would address these things. Um, that we would, it, I think we could spark a revival in this country. In 2019, there's still enough Christians, number one, there's still enough influential, well-respected, uh, wealthy Christians that if we could unite on a kingdom agenda, a biblical agenda, not a right-wing, not a left-wing agenda, but a biblical agenda, I think we could definitely spark a revival and a spiritual awakening, as this nation has had before, uh, but uh, if, we, if we don't unite, uh, then I think that in short order, I don't know, 10 years, we may be pushed entirely to the periphery yeah. and be, have to be underground, you know. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I think we should be united anyway. So yeah. we have to have that. That means having hard conversations. That means being willing to be offended. Mm-hmm. by a brother or sister of a different race and, and giving grace, you know, um, and, and really trying to, to judge everything we talk about by the word of God. Yeah. And if we do that, then I think we, if we submit to the word of God, just like in my marriage, you know, my wife and I have had to have hard conversations. And the thing that has enabled us to be married together and happily married for 24 mm-hmm. years is that at the end of the day, she knows and I know I got to submit to the will of God. Mm-hmm. Like I might think she did me wrong. I might be mad or upset, but I have to behave like toward her like God told me to behave and vice yeah. versa. And if we do that racially, then I think we can have the unity that we have never had in this country. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about um, a new initiative you guys have started with King, the King Scholar 
Yeah, King Scholars, we call it King Scholars not because it's just about academics, although that's part of it, but it's really because of the age group of young men we're trying to reach from 13 to 25, so that high school, college age. But really, so many men, young boys uh, and men, young men in America did not grow up with uh, a father in the household. Yeah. Um, and not whether it was they were born out of wedlock or divorce or whatever mm-hmm. it may have been. And so a, a lot of young men are growing up without strong father figures. And so we want to provide that for, for them and be the father figures to them. And even young men who may get married but never saw the daily interactions of a husband and wife, the daily interactions of a father and children, they, even though they may be saved, uh, and they, they, they are married, they never saw that in a practical way. Yeah. And so we want to provide training in, you know, being a husband, being a father. And also in, you know, just at natural things like academic, you know, help them academically, tutoring. Uh, and also uh, with, you know, getting a, how to choose a career. You mm-hmm. know, how to set yourself on the path to get a good job so you can provide for your family and stuff like that. So really... The King Scholars Program just wants to stand in the gap, gather men together to stand in the gap and, you know, be a light and an example uh, and a loving and compassionate example for some of these young boys uh, in that age group. So that's really what our King Scholars Program is about. And some of our chapters in different cities have adopted schools and they're able to work with young boys in the schools. Some of our chapters go into the juvenile detention centers. Mm-hmm where that's a great place to reach people because they're young and they're, they're 12 to 18 years old. They're still going to get out of, they're going to get out of the juvenile detention center at some, some point. Um, and they clearly see the error of their ways. Like they, they clearly see, look, the way I'm going right now, I'm going to end up in jail. Like it's not yeah. working. And so they're open to hearing the word of God. They're open to hearing from somebody that wants to help them. Yeah. And so, uh, so some of our chapters do that as well. So if, if you're here today and you're interested in being a part of um, uh, this ministry in any way, shape, or form, I would encourage you. Um, there's a, a gentleman that's traveling with Chris, Dr. Joseph Bryant. Dr. B's on the second row right here. He pastors a church over in San Francisco. But Dr. B will be back at the uh, at the table that's out in the lobby, and they've got a whole bunch of gear, just like sweatshirts and t-shirts and things this like that. This gear is hot. You definitely want to pick it up. <laughs> Trust me. All the cool kids are doing it. Uh, so I would encourage you, all the, all the gear that's purchased, the proceeds go toward funding the ministry. Uh, and if you're interested in saying, hey, I want to be part of the King Scholar program, um, you can set up a one-time gift. You could do a recurring gift. If you want to support it monthly to help support young men and becoming the, the men of God that God dreams for them to be, we'd love for you to partner with them in that as well. And uh, Chris, I'm so grateful that you've been with us today and shared some of your story and just your experiences. I, I'm, I really do appreciate it. Thank you for your authenticity. No, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Great to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm going to let Chris step out, and just for purposes of being able to get in and out of the parking lot and lobby and all those kind of things, Chris is not going to be available following the service today, but do me a favor. If you've enjoyed him being with us today, let him know on social media. Tell him thank you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, something like that, but, uh, but I, I'm grateful that he's with us today. 
maybe as you're sitting here, you heard his story, and there's some of the story that sounds kind of familiar to you. Maybe you're here today, and you've had some of the similar struggles that Chris has. Maybe it's not with uh, ESPN or Fox Sports or any of those kind of things, but, but maybe you're here and you know what it's like to run from God, because maybe you're running from God today. Um, I want to give you an opportunity, just like Chris took, to say, hey, I recognize that Jesus is not my Lord, but I need to make him Lord. Uh, maybe you've grown up religious and you know all the right answers, but, but you still feel that emptiness inside. Maybe you've, you've um, achieved success in a lot of areas of your life, but you still recognize today I still feel empty. I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus Lord of your life. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. God, I thank you that you're among us today, that you're here today. And God, I pray for those that are here that, uh, that, that sense your presence, but maybe they're a little resistant to you. Lord, maybe they've been running from you. Maybe they're, they're scared of what it means to, uh, to surrender their lives to you. Lord, I pray that today you would, you would give them a peace, God. You'd draw them gently. Lord, you'd help them experience how good it is to be loved by you. And God, I pray that today they would just surrender it all. So God, have your way with us over these next few moments. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, what you just described is me. Um, I, I know I've been running from God. I know I'm not in a relationship with God. Maybe you were doing real well at one point, going to church, but you've kind of walked away from that. But you say, today's the day I really want to surrender it all to God. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to make him Lord of everything. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you forward. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. If that's you today, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? Then you can put it down. Yeah, thank you. Over here on my right. Thank you. A couple of hands. Who else would say, that's me, Mel. Pray for me. Yeah, thank you on my left. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, put the balcony. Thank you. Who else? Just a few more seconds. You said, pray for me, Mel. Today's my day. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm tired of running. I want every person in this place to pray this prayer with me. Say this out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for giving your life to pay for my sins. From this day forward, my life is yours. Use it for your glory and help me never go back to my old life. But from now on, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today, can't we? God is good. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I just want you to know, Scripture tells us you're a new creation today, that the old is gone, the new has come, and we want to help you take the next step in your faith. So if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, there's a card that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. If you fill out the side of the card that says salvation, and then when we're done here in just a moment, take it over to our information center, give it to them. They're gonna give you a free Bible and it's just our way of helping you take the next step in your faith journey. They're gonna give you some resources, tell you about some opportunities and help you take the next step in your faith. If you're watching online right now and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I just want you to know we're excited for you, we're proud of you, and we wanna help you take the next step. So uh, the best way for you to, to let us know you made that decision is simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and uh, we'll help you get connected to a church here in the area. If it's if you're in the Indian area, we'll connect you to Summit. If you're somewhere throughout the United States or even the world, we're gonna help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can begin to grow in your faith in. So thank you for responding today.